millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. This is something no one's tried before. He is a living work of art. It has become part of him now. That means everything about you is created by yourself as an artwork. He'd pull out his ladder and climb up in front of the cathedral. He sort of railed against religion in the square. Kia ora. you're listening to Eyewitness, a podcast that explores moments and events in history witnessed by the people who were there. And I'm your host, Sonia Yee. The Wizard of New Zealand, formerly known as Ian Brackenbury Channel, was born in London in December 1932, and this year he'll be 89 years old. In the early 50s, he served in the Royal Air Force before taking on a double honours degree in psychology and sociology from the University of Leeds. He then went on to teach in Australia. It was also at this time that the Wizard was starting to take shape. The world is being destroyed by women, and men can't stop them. From what I remember as a kid, he was a strange guy in a velvet costume, standing on a wooden stepladder that acted as his portable podium, entertaining small crowds who would drift in and out, going about their day. Why? Because we're weak to get out. I'd heard through the grapevine that he'd retired. I came across articles and then a website, wizard.gen.nz. The entire site was written in a kind of italic, medieval or old English font. The menu on the side of the page included essays on ideo dynamics, ideas, cosmology, credentials and a place for feedback. There were 59 comments to date. Some referred to him as a spiritual leader, an inspiration, a lost soul. There's also a reference to him dancing with a feather duster back in the late 60s. Someone even wanted his feedback on a wizard-based video game. So I sent a message through the contact page. A man called Ari, who I discovered later as his apprentice, sent me an email referring to the Wizard of New Zealand as Jack. To be honest, I wasn't sure if it was a hoax. So after a back-and-forth email, the Wizard of New Zealand, or Jack, wanted me to call him the traditional way. Hello? Hello, Jack? Yep, Sonia, isn't it? I just want to clarify something first, because when I looked up your name, the name that comes up is Ian Brackenbury Channel. I haven't used that name for about 40 years, actually. It hasn't been official or legal. And that's because all of his documents now read... First name V, family name Wizard of NZ. And that's been my citizenship ceremony. It's gone right through my when I got my QSM. That was the name given... That QSM was awarded in 2009. But getting back to business, or at least the basics. So do I call you Jack or...? Jack, yeah. It's the same name as Ian, actually, but I prefer Jack. Now that we've got that sorted, when Jack was transitioning into the wizard, he'd just started teaching at the University of New South Wales. That was in 1969. 
there was a dramatic social shift happening around him. All hell broke loose from the student power movement. Hippies everywhere, it was really extraordinary, unusual time. And I'd just been engaged to start the new department of social science and sociology. So I specialised in religion and revitalisation movements. Where people were pushing back against the status quo, the time was ripe for something no one had ever tried before. A different form of change. So that if people were confronted by violent opposition, they were confronted with unusually creative responses. So this is like street theatre. So what began then was the fun evolution. The thinking behind his idea was progressive, but to others, it looked like he was kind of taking the piss. He encountered some backlash and resistance. My professor went crazy, didn't like what I was doing. The administration thought it was great, sort of a student union, and the academics were not happy that this fun stuff going on on the campus, even though it stopped the occupations and the violence. What did you want to change, though? I wanted to lessen the bureaucracy. The main problem was people were proceeding along incredibly difficult uh, ways of dealing with issues. Instead of being efficient and getting on with the job and being informal, they proceeded along these bureaucratic tracks. For Jack, being the wizard wasn't quite enough. He wanted to build an aesthetic, and in his mind, that meant total immersion. Therefore, you justify as art. The Living Art title was given to me by the the Union Council of Melbourne University in 1972. They made the appointment as living work of art. Also, shaman or prophet, so I had both titles. So the next step was an appointment to see the director of the National Gallery. Eric Westbrook at the time in Melbourne talked about this project. He was most interested in the idea. He contacted the Metropolitan Museum in New York about what was going on. And they all bought into the concept. And they thought this is something no one's tried before. To become a living work of art. That means everything about you is created as an artwork. Your identity is only one thing. You need to have a whole lifestyle with your family, your friends, your own universe you live in, the way you see the world. It has to be all turned into something aesthetic rather than morally necessary or rational. And Westbrook was actually interested. He thought it could be an excellent way to teach people what art really means. But one of the ways in which Jack was to fully implement this project was by moving to a place where no one knew anything about him. He'd say goodbye to the life he had once known and start afresh. So, why Christchurch? Well, it was actually my ideal community. It was founded by romantics in the 19th century who really loved art and debate and argument. They were very much like me. And what's more, it had a public square that was to become a platform for his work. And this is where free speech becomes really important. Now that is the ideal theatre for, for a living work of art. Only if you adapt your communication to witty, provocative and humorous exaggeration can you really get a crowd to respond strongly. The central space in front of the Christchurch Cathedral became his second home. Wrote to the council, made approaches, showed them all my documents and all the recommendations I had, and they said, you can't speak in the square, you need a licence. So 1974 was the first year you appeared in the yeah. square, and what did you talk about? 
Well, I talk about things that are going to really annoy the government. I'm a monarchist. Now, I know the government wants to get rid of the monarchy and bring in a republic. It gives them more power. So I also know that they, the New Zealand is currently saying we're an independent nation. We have nothing to do with Britain. We're free. We're Kiwis now. They took the word British off all the passports in the 1950s. They told people the British Empire was an evil institution, and they preferred America or United Nations and so on. Now, my comments were to praise the British Empire, especially in their fight against the Nazis, to praise the monarchy as a form of government which is not based on money and power, but has something more aesthetic, more beautiful, and more religious than, than republicanism has. So I was making all these comments knowing I'd infuriate the school teachers, the university academics, and the, and the politicians. But it didn't upset the people. They loved it. So it was me and the peasants, I call them peasants, versus the elite. And I did it aesthetically, always with gestures and mime and music. But becoming a mainstay of the square didn't come without a fight. But that was all part of the plan, to create a space for social change that could be activated. And after three months of, of desperate attempts to arrest me, which failed because I made such fun of the whole thing, they finally made free speech part of the Christchurch city square's function. The hardest part was not giving the game away, which was important for the project. Total immersion meant facing every situation good or bad, head on. I spoke in a gas mask. I spoke in French. I spoke in tongues. I spoke mime. I was in a cardboard box speaking inside the box. Because I'm using fun as my main technique to avoid confrontation with unimaginative, boring bureaucrats, I had to use fun. And the crowds were getting bigger and bigger and laughing. In 1982, the New Zealand Art Gallery Directors Association issued a statement pushing for the wizard to be recognised as an authentic living work of art. And we'll get to that later in the story. Now, around the same time, the Christchurch City Council appointed him Wizard of Christchurch. They advertised me as a tourist attraction. People came and saw me in the, in the guidebook. So Christchurch accepted the idea of a wizard in its major centre outside the cathedral. And in 1990, he was officially appointed Wizard of New Zealand by Prime Minister Mike Moore. And the rest is history. That is, until the 2011 Christchurch earthquakes. Dozens of people are reported dead now. Hundreds of people still trapped in that rubble. news camera got a glimpse inside the cathedral. It was able to confirm the terrible damage. Centred 6.7 kilometres southeast of the city centre, it caused widespread damage across Christchurch, and the concerns of the city changed. There was no infrastructure left to support tourism. The primary concern was to rebuild the city. Everything was that the square underwent some transformations, and when they were doing that, the square was more or less closed down. And then we had the massacre, and then we had COVID. The square is now almost dead while they're fixing it up. And as you can hear in Jack's voice, there is some obvious frustration there. The changes in the city essentially took away the one platform the Wizard of New Zealand had, a place where he could maintain his presence as a living work of art. There was no more square, therefore no audience, no one to listen, no one to react. He had nowhere to do this anymore. We should bring women back under control and stop them shopping and then we can save the world and have no more wars. (laughs) 
on the phone. He spoke quickly, with urgency, barely giving himself a chance to breathe. When you make it a spectacular display, you're just emphasising it. So like that's the highest form you can reach, is when you, when you behave like a rock star on stage. But when the smoke goes and the music stops... It was strangely like having the wizard perform through the phone. In that moment in time, I was his audience. They just, they come down back to earth again like everyone else, like actors after play. I'm never just Jack. I'm always a mixture of the various roles that I occupy, but I'm not stretching the roles out to make them important. And I couldn't help but feel The Wizard of New Zealand and the art project were slipping away. The place that rejoiced in his presence, the city of Christchurch, had changed and the community's needs had shifted too. First of all, they cut me out from all the guidebooks that I shouldn't be speaking because they didn't like what I was saying. But they couldn't say what it was they didn't like. They just said, you know, he upsets people. I'm never allowed to speak anywhere. No one should say anything. They keep me quiet. They tell people I'm, I'm, I'm an idiot or something. So it's a battle. After our interview, I had to do some more digging and looking through his website reinforced what I'd just heard. There was one comment that rang loud and clear. I know what you mean about being cancelled. It's a battle, but this means things are moving towards some sort of tipping point, and I feel that this is coming now. But while Jack, the Wizard of New Zealand, seems to have gotten lost down the rabbit hole, there are people who were on board the project. One man who got to know him quite well was John Coley, who worked on a project with the Wizard during his tenure as director at the Robert McDougall Art Gallery between 1981 and 1995. He'd already been created a living work of art by the Art Gallery of Victoria. He said, I want to be sent to Brisbane as an object. John was hesitant. It's not in my place to send you to Brisbane. You'd have to be uh, condition reported before you went. That's a kind of a medical. You get paintings before you ship them away. You mark every scratch and every ding in it. Did he see the joke in that? Oh, yeah, he'd tell a joke in everything, actually. He was a delightful man. As a living work of art, the wizard wanted to be transported. Not by magic, but... He said, well, you put me in a crate... And while the wizard's idea was just far too risky for everyone involved, John came up with a perfect solution. They'd still need a crate, though. The technicians uh, built a crate and and put holes in it so he could breathe, and and he fitted inside. I remember it vividly, he did it in the back of the gallery. The wizard and the public were transported through the power of illusion and a creative and entertaining publicity stunt. A bit of a laugh, you know, and, and the story went out that he was going to be sent to uh, to, to Brisbane as a um, living work of art. I think it was Brisbane. But it also reinforced the wizard's status. As a living work of art, you should be entitled to be shipped, right? We took him seriously for being a living work of art because, you know, why not? And that was always his basic question. Why do we have to do this? Why do I have to fill in a census form on a certain day? I'm going to avoid doing that by leaving the country. Which is what he famously did in the early 80s when census time came around. And he hasn't filled in one since. So he got on a boat that somebody was willing to take him out on and they went beyond the three-mile limit. And uh, so he, legally he was out of the country when, for this 24-hour period 
or something like that, but he never filled in a census form. You know, that was his statement. It was both entertaining, it was thought-provoking, it was very original. The wizard creativity extended to the kind of car he drove. The push-me-pull-you Beatles Volkswagen he had, which was two Volkswagen cut down the middle and half and joined together again. So you didn't know whether it was coming or going, which end it was. So people would stop and stare at this creature as it drove down the street, you know. Whether it was purely for entertainment value or public provocation. It was diverting and it posed the question, what is that? Who would do that? Why would they wreck two cars to make one? So I often wondered where his originality came from. He had a new idea every week. But I had a burning question that continued to linger. If the wizard doesn't have a stage or platform to perform on, does the Wizard of New Zealand even exist as a living work of art? How do you determine the project's success? At some point in time, different works can fall out of favour. But I wanted to get another perspective on this. A man called Neil Roberts had been a gallery curator. He contacted me saying he knew quite a lot about the wizard. So does he think the change in attitude reflected that societal shift? It does. Unfortunately, that's the case. And and art goes through phases, as it's always done through history. But as a living work of art, he, he only has any identity when he is uh, performing. People passing him in the street won't say, oh, there's the living work of art. The living work of art has to perform to have any reality. The living work of art doesn't exist when, when Jack returns to his ordinary life, as he does from day to day. And that, of course, is related indirectly to conceptual art anyway. Back in the 1960s uh, into the 70s, that was on a cusp of the whole movement of contemporary art expanding its horizons. Anything went in terms of ideas. Since that time, of course, there's been a settling down period. In 1995, when Neil was standing in as a director at the McDougall Art Gallery, the wizard approached him. The proposal was a 21st anniversary project that became a week-long celebration, which ran at the end of September 1995, called Wizard's Week. The exhibition was a kind of retrospective, which Alice, his curator and his partner, of course, she did all the work, really. It exposed to the public the identity of the living work of ours, history, back to Melbourne. Included in the exhibition were documents and photographs. There was also a live element too, involving a very large egg. He was in the egg and broke out of the egg, a rebirth. Reflecting on the past and moving on into the future. Neil wholeheartedly supported the project. The city used his image uh, a lot to try and uh, add another piece, uh, bit of colour to the, the activity of the city. You know, it was endorsed by the council. The mayor was, at that time, Vicky Buck, was very, very much behind the whole idea. The incoming director, unfortunately, the new one from Australia, said, well, why can we not cancel this? I said, no, it's too far advanced now. I think what's so interesting is that there is a focus on this constructing an identity, that that becomes art. But then now that New Zealand's, you know, landscape has become very multicultural, the whole idea of what identity is and then how he might be as an older white man from England, Mm. that 
relevance of that as well is something that even just culturally can, in contemporary thought is shifting into other you, areas. You could, you could have something there, yes. I think you're right. Certainly there's been a sea change in, in ideas over the last uh, three, three or four decades. Having been so immersed in it that he's now become that, is that in itself problematic? Uh, no, because I think it's part of what he set out to do. I think he's achieved that. Neil says the wizard pushed boundaries of conceptual contemporary art. But how does that continue in living form if we, the people, can't see him? You know, you won't find too much written uh, about it. I don't know how it will survive in generations to come or whether, in fact, it will survive. The living work of art did exist. It had a place not only in Australia but also in New Zealand. So it is a contribution, in a way, to contemporary art. In 2009, the Wizard of New Zealand was awarded the Queen's Service Medal and the Queen's Birthday Honours for services to the community. And he also appointed an apprentice in 2014. Today, the Wizard of New Zealand lives a quiet life in Omaru. He doesn't believe he's quite retired, as many people think, and has his plans to make his presence felt on the internet, a place where his voice can be downloaded at any time. A lot of his work is to do with performance, with theatre and making an impact, making people laugh as much as making them angry. It's a performance. So he's brought that element of colour and provoked thought, something that the city would have been lesser in that period had he not been there. Despite the wizard's frustrations with the council and the changes in the city, and not to mention this new environment we're all operating in, a world that's changed, consumed with the threat of COVID, Jack, the man once known as Ian Brackenbury Channel, the Wizard of Christchurch, and then the Wizard of New Zealand, made a difference, bringing a largely conservative city settled by generations of families who talk about the arrival of their forebears on the first four ships to life as a place where it's okay to speak out and claim your space, to make a statement, if you dare, and to not be afraid of difference, because that in itself moves us all towards thinking about who we are and why we react when we see him perform in the street, a place where nothing ever sits still. You heard Neil Roberts, John Coley and The Wizard of New Zealand. And the sound engineer was Phil Benge. And I'm your host and producer, Sonia Yee. If you'd like to hear more episodes from the series, head to rnz.co.nz forward slash eyewitness or download via Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you next time. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.